Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to New Hope Church. I'm Christian, and we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So, ushers, if you could please prepare. Well, in the meantime, I just want to share a little bit about what I got to experience over this past weekend. See, this last, or this past weekend, we had our thing called our SALT conference, and if you got to go, or if you didn't get to go, there was so amazing things, like the messages and the things we got to receive were amazing. But for me, one of the biggest highlights came with our SALT youth night. And what it was is we did this big youth night, we invited a bunch of other churches and our own youth, and they came together, and it was amazing. But throughout the night, I noticed there's this one girl. She came from off-island, and she was really scared and really shy, so usually us youth leaders will go in and, like, you know, try and make her feel comfortable. But as the night went on, before I had the chance, I noticed something. See, I noticed that one of our youth, without any of us telling her, went out and made friends with that girl. I was like, okay, you know. And I kind of stayed at a distance, like, okay, how's this going to work? But at the end of the night, they're chatting like old friends. And that struck me, and it reminded me so much that when we reach, or when we want to reach the next generation, the most effective people to reach them are going to be the next generation. So when that youth stepped out of their comfort zone, when they extended that hand, it showed, us, it showed me that the youth are ready to reach. In the same way for us, I just want to thank you guys so much for being a congregation that believes in the next generation so much that you would partner with us to reach the next generation. So if you could bow your heads as I, prepare, or as I pray for this offering. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray over this offering that you receive it and that you'd use it and you'd multiply it like only you can. Use it to find the lost. Not only in the next generation, but in every generation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you, Christian? You are that man. I'm going to move this just a little bit so I can see you guys. Well, go ahead, ushers. You can do that. And thank you again for not just investing in the lives of people, but in your very own life too. When we think of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're responsible to come to him and, and build our relationship with him. And what his responsibility is, is to pour out his spirit on you and I. That's his promise to us. And being here on our Wednesday night, uh, what we call Equip and Disciple, is for us to, in the middle of the week, come before God together as a congregation and then be built up because of who he is. Now, we could be doing anything. We could be anywhere. We could be doing whatever we wanted to do. But for some reason, it's like we said, nope, I'm going to invest in my spirit. And God is honored by that. And when we gather together like this, the Bible says that we come together so that we can encourage each other and strengthen each other. We've been in this series to help us be equipped, so we're calling it Equipping the Saints, and that's us as a, as a people, as a congregation, as people who believe in God, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're finding your way to God and you're, you're kind of that in-between stage of, well, I, I want to give my life to God, but I don't, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I can tell you this, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but it will be a whole lot better than what it is. I don't know what the future looks like, but I, I do know this, that God knows what our future looks like. And because of that, when he molds us and shapes us, as the Bible says, he does it for our good. And whenever we enter a season like we're in right now for our church, 
that we're in a season of harvesting. In other words, there are many people out there who have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Even people who attend our church are still coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So our responsibility, as the Bible says, is to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And that word nation, it really comes from the word, or the word comes from nationality. It's the same root word where we get nationality, nations and nationalities. So he's saying, you go out into the world, and then you connect with people who may not be this, from the same nationality as you, the same background, maybe even the same interest or same likes. So we get to go out into the world and represent the God of the universe. Just think about that, that God called you and I to represent him. The perfect creator, the father in heaven, the one who created everything, called you and I to represent him in this world. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, that's a, that's a pretty big responsibility. It is. Yet think of the people that you're around that also have that responsibility. Even the people that are here tonight, just, I mean, look at the person next to you. They're responsible for carrying out the greatest message that this world would ever see. Some of you are laughing. You're thinking, really, they're responsible? Oh, man, we're going to need help. We, we're all going to be responsible for carrying out the assignment that God gave to all of us. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at something that will help us to have a heart for the lost. And if you want to open the church app, there's some notes in there that you can follow along and, and you can click on. And then also, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to start there, and then we're going to flip over to the book of Luke. So Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up and turn there. And then Luke chapter 15, we'll, we'll head in that direction afterwards. But in the book of Genesis, God is going to show us kind of like what happened from the very beginning. And in order for us to know where we are today, we have to know where we were yesterday. And when you think about the, having a heart for the lost and how God has a heart for us, the heart that God has comes with such passion, compassion, love, mercy, and grace that he needs to, to pour out his spirit in us so that we could have that same kind of spirit that God has. Now, when mankind was lost or when mankind was separated from God because of sin, now mankind had to find a way back to God. So mankind tried to do whatever needed to be done to get back to God. Now, some tried and some just rebelled against God. But God said, here's how you're going to worship me. And so they, they did animal sacrifices to pay for the sins of people. And then they tried different worships to God. They would have the tabernacle and Moses would carry uh, take the tabernacle and the israelites would carry it and then break uh, build it up and then break it down and then build it up and break it down it was a tent of meeting so they would worship god in that and then as time went on solomon who is king david's son built a man-made temple and that's where they would worship god so throughout history they're trying to find ways how do they how they can connect back to god but it wasn't enough because here we have a perfect father in heaven who as imperfect people we're trying to connect with, and there's nothing we could do to bring that perfection to God. So we're lost without him. So what God did is he sent us his one and only son, who in all of his perfection came to us in a perfect way, died a perfect death, so we as imperfect human beings can connect with the perfect son of God and find our way back to the perfect father. That's the only way back to God. And some people will say, yeah, that can't be the only way back to God. Okay, give me another way. 
Give me another way that you can get to a perfect God. How do you get to the perfect Father? Because any way we try as human beings will be imperfect from the very get-go. Why? Because we are imperfect people. There's nothing we can do to have a right relationship with God by ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We tried it. It doesn't work. Because sin cannot be paid for unless by death. The wages of sin is death, says Romans 6, uh, 23. The wages of sin is death. So if the wages of sin is death, in other words, that's the end result, then we're, we're, we're going to die because of sin, so how do I get to a perfect Father in heaven who is life if I'm dead? Well, the only way sin could be paid for is death. Could it be my death? No, because I'm a sinful person. So if I died, that's the end of it. I'm separated from God for all of eternity. However, if someone was perfect and they died, then they died a perfect death, which means they paid for sin as well as not be held down by sin and can rise from the grave. Why? Because sin has no death over a perfect person. Did you catch that? Okay, I had to preface what we're going to be talking about just with that. That's what Jesus did. Perfect, died a perfect death and rose so that we now could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's why we need to believe in him. He's the mediator. He's our way back to God. So when we, when we are separated from God because of sin, he brings us back to himself. Well, we may understand that because we came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're saved. But there are people who have yet to come to know him who are still in that state of needing a Savior. They need salvation. Because mankind is lost without God. Just think about it. When you lose something, your eagerness to find it is dependent on how valuable it is to you. If you lose something that's not that valuable, you don't spend too much time or energy looking for it. it, it it's not that bad. On the other hand, the more valuable something is to you, the more time and energy and resources you will use to find whatever it is depending on how valuable it is. It's going to match your time and energy depending on how valuable it is to you. Well, Jesus gives some stories in the book of Luke in how something is valuable and how when you lose something valuable, whatever you're looking for that is valuable, you're going to do whatever it takes to find it. He talked about the lost sheep. He talked about the lost coin. And he talked about the lost son. We know it as the the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus gives these three stories because he's trying to liken us to the father's heart. And if we ever want to have a heart for the lost, we're going to have to have the heart of God. It cannot be our own heart. It cannot be our own perspective. It has to be our heart connected with God's. Therefore, now we have God's heart. And once we have the heart of God, now we're able to understand that there are people lost without God and God wants to use us, you and I, to reach them. Well, do I have to, don't I have to, like, like, know Bible verses first? And don't I have to get my act together first? No, because how much of the Bible do we need to know in order for us to be qualified? To say, okay, God, now you can use me because I know, like, the whole book of Psalms. I can quote the whole book of Psalms. Oh, whole book of Psalms. Oh, you can reach all the people in the mall. You qualify. 
Oh, I, I know the New Testament. Oh, you can go Wainaku. Oh, I know half the Old Testament. Oh, you can go Panaeva. Like, w at what point do we get to that God would say, okay, you're qualified, now you can go. No, you know what qualifies us? Him. He qualifies us. Because we're his vessels, which means he, he's going to use us as instruments to reach people who are far from him. And the reason why he uses us, because we're in disguise. We are God's spirit dwelling in us in disguise. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The spirit of the living God dwells in every single one of his believers. And then he says, now we can infiltrate everywhere. Because imagine if God showed up in your home where there were people who were far from him. The Bible says we actually wouldn't be able to survive if we saw God's face to face. We would die. So what God does is he puts us. So that when people see us, they can handle. More or less, they can handle. But when, but when people see us, that's why the Bible says you are to, to shine your light in such a way that people see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Because he's using us to infiltrate the world. Now, we may, have it, we, we may have the location down. We may have what family we're in down. We may have what workplace we're in down. Like, we, we know where we are and, and who we need to reach out to. We got that. But we may be missing the Father's heart for the loss. And not that we're evil people. It's just, we're, I, I don't know about you, but there are some times where, like, we hide our Christianity. And it could be because the way the world is going. It's like if, you, if you're not overt about your Christianity, you're more uh, open about your belief in God. It's like now, now people come against you. But you know what I'm finding? Is when we do it in the way that is loving and caring and full of grace and mercy, they begin to draw closer to that. They push religion away. But everyone welcomes a gracious, loving, kind, non-judgmental person. That's who he's calling us to be. And that's what Jesus came to bring. We're going to read in the book of Genesis kind of what, like, let, let's, let's see what happened in the beginning. Because we're all benefiting from the fall of man. It's almost like we're getting blamed or punished for something we didn't even do. You know how we always say, oh, the world is evil in the way it is and we're sinners because of Adam and Eve. It's like, you like go back and be like, why? Like, why? Look what took place. If it weren't for this, we would have been okay. But no, you guys had to eat the fruit. You could have just saved your appetite for later and eat something else. But you never like, listen. So in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible is going to give us the basic principle of why we are the way we are. In verse 1, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and Genesis means beginning. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He had said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree, from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And that's not true. God didn't say don't touch it. He just said, you must not eat from it. So she kind of added something in there. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Not you will be God. Because some religions get it wrong. 
the Bible says that you will be like God, not a God. You'll be like God in this way, knowing good from evil. They didn't know about evil. They just knew about good. So now they're intrigued. Well, Eve is kind of considering this now. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She saw it. She saw the possibilities, and then she took it. It's like going to the store and seeing clearance. 90% off. You see it, you're enticed, and you take it. So it's that same kind of pull at you. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to the man. So she ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Notice there's no prerequisite for the man. The woman said, hey, eat this. He's like, shoot. <laughs> like, at least the woman went through a process. The guy was just, I don't know, just like, oh, okay. He didn't even ask, like, that's not the fruit we're not supposed to eat. Maybe she was, maybe she was that, you know, kind of person that he just really, 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 really trusted her. And he said, okay. Well, he eats the fruit, and both of their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is the first time that Adam and Eve ever experienced hiding from God. It's the first time. They didn't even know what to do. They hear him. They don't even see him. Now, this is, this is, this is not common. This is the first time that mankind is dealing with this. This is a learned experience. Because normally... They're walking with God. They're talking with God. They have a relationship with God. But something caused them to hide for the first time. There was just something inside of them that says, hey, like, what's happening? We we have to hide. They didn't even know what hiding is. They had to figure out something to hide. Because there was no such thing as hiding before that. So now they're trying to hide from God in the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Let me ask you this question. Did God know where Adam was? Absolutely. God knows everything. Adam answered, I I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Notice he didn't even answer God. He didn't say, ah, right here about a guava tree. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, he said, I I I heard you, so I I I I was I was ashamed, I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? Now, God is asking him questions God already knows the answers for. Isn't it pretty interesting that God is asking questions that he already knows? And the man said, oh, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. Bye-bye. Talk to her. It's like that's what he did. Kind of threw her under the bus and said, okay, Eve, you're on your own. You got to answer to dad now. And then he was like, he's out of there. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And then the woman said, 
Oh, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Bye-bye, serpent. Okay, you're on your own. You got to deal with God and, and, and whatever God's going to do. But then God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. And he puts a curse on the serpent. But for Adam and Eve, their curse had just begun. See, their curse wasn't sin. Their curse wasn't that they disobeyed God and, and there was like, oh, shame on you kind of thing. The, the curse wasn't that now they feel guilty. The curse wasn't that now the land was going to bring forth thorns and, and evil was going to be in the world. And then from that point on, the world was going to fall apart. It wasn't about that. That wasn't the curse. It's a part of it. But for Adam and Eve, the worst thing they were dealing with of this curse was eternal separation from their creator. All they knew for all their life was a close relationship with God and perfection. That's all they knew. But now they're carrying this sin it's now inside of them. And now they have this guilt that they're carrying. See, when God, when God called out to Adam, where are you, Adam? Yeah, God knew exactly where he was. God asked this question to Adam, not, not for a location, not so that God could know something. It wasn't for informational purposes. God asks this question to Adam, and he asks us questions so that we can do some some internal self-evaluation. That we would have an opportunity to evaluate ourselves. Because in the question, Adam, where are you? It could mean so many different things. It could mean, Adam, where are you in the way you're thinking? Adam, where are you in your heart? Adam, where are you in your spirit? Adam, where are you with your relationship with me? It's like Adam had to now assess and Eve had to assess and evaluate where they were with God. And I want to ask us that question tonight. Where are you with God? Not where are you with other people, where are you in your, your season of life, where are you in, in, in your career, or how, how much you have in your bank account. It's where are you with God? What does that look like? Because God's major concern is not your performance. It's his relationship with you. He doesn't care if we go through the motions, he, he wants us to be with him. And so when he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? He allows Adam time to process. And Adam said it plainly, I, I hid. I, I, I hid from you. You see, when you don't know where God is in your life, then you won't know where you are in life. If you don't know where God is in your life, you won't know where you are in life. Because God is life. They hid themselves among the rest of God's creation, of their surroundings. They hid. And nothing has changed ever since then. We still hide behind things. We hide behind a facade. We hide behind a... a a, a career we hide behind certain things and God is saying I where are you I'm, I'm trying to find you but you're hiding among everything else 
And something, something deep inside of us keeps luring us, sometimes even further and further away from God. And it takes the Spirit of God to draw us near to Himself. And what makes us hide from God is not that we sinned, it's that we sinned and we know God knows we sinned. Because when we're little kids, we sin all the time. We don't know. We're just innocent kids. But the moment we begin to know, like we know that our mom or dad knows, then we start to hide. I mean, I, I've, I've broken things in the house and then hid it. Why? Because I know mom or dad is going to get upset. I, 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 you know, I would punch a hole in the wall, by, not by accident, but I'll punch a hole in the wall and then I'll try and hide it. Why? Because I know someone is going to get mad. Well, that's the same thing we do with God. When we do something and we know that God is going to know, we hide from him. See, the question wasn't an informational purpose for them. God knows everything. And God is never asking us questions so that he can get information. He asks us questions so that we can self-evaluate. That's what Jesus did with the rich young ruler. That's what Jesus did when he was with people, even with the Pharisees. Even when, you're, when he was in people's homes and people would ridicule him. He would ask them questions. He even asked his disciples, Peter. He asked his disciples, he said, hey, do, who do people say I am? It's like they had to do a self-evaluation and say, wait a minute, um, people say this and that. Well, who do you say I am? Well, boy, I got to think that one through. See, when God asks us questions, it's not so that he can pin us, that we have wrong information. God is asking us questions so that we come to him. And the realization that there are things inside of us that pull us further and further away from him. And when that happens, we begin to break away from the heart of God. And he wants to draw us near to himself. Notice that it was God who was in the garden who sought Adam and Eve out. God was walking in the garden. They heard him. They didn't go looking for him. They didn't say, okay, God, okay, this is what we did wrong, okay? God said, where are you? And here's why this is so incredibly important. Because God is not a God who abandons his children. God seeks you and I out no matter how far we are from him. That's the heart of God. You may have walked a thousand miles away from God. He will run all the way to you and leave that last step just for you. Because without that last step, there would be no relationship. But God will run to you. He will chase you down. When Adam heard God, he was afraid. Even that, that term, I heard God or I was afraid or I hid, it means that Adam does not have the courage to tell God the whole truth. Like God has to pull that out of him. Because what fear does is, is fear suppresses that part of the truth where love is supposed to declare. Like love, love frees us. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. What fear does is it suppresses parts of truth where love wants it to escape and be freed. But now Adam is, is stuck in this fear. What love does is it declares this freedom. Love declares how good God is. Love helps us to draw closer to God. Not that we love God first, but God loved us first. 1 John 4.19 tells us that. That's why we love God, because he first loved us. That's what love can do. See, every single person, every believer can develop a heart of God, the heart, of, the heart for the lost, a heart for people who are far from God by implementing these three ideas, and they are very basic ideas. I want to give you three tonight. Here's the first one. Have a plan. 
Simple as that. Have a plan. What kind of, what do you mean a plan? How do I have a plan to have a heart for the lost? How do I plan that out? Well, in Luke chapter 15, we're going to read this first story. Luke chapter 15, I'll read from verses 1 through 7. And this is the parable of the lost sheep. And it starts off in this way. And Luke, who is writing this, is a doctor. So he knows what he's talking about and he gives some details. And it begins in this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Notice how Luke starts off. He starts off painting the picture of what Jesus has to deal with and what sinners have to deal with. He sets the scene for us that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's setting the scene. So now Jesus told them this parable. Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus paints the picture for them. He says, okay, to you Pharisees and, tax, and, and, and for those of you who are saying, I'm sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners, and, and you're saying, how can you eat with these people? I want to paint a picture for you. Let's just say you're on this hill, and you have all of these sheep on this hill, and you have a hundred of them. There's a lot of sheep. Just cross your eyes and shake your head. There'll be a lot. And the, all of these sheep. And he says, and then here comes this one lost sheep, and it's like down by the riverbank, and then... Okay, you have the sheep over there, and the sheep is by the river, and, and the sh- one thing about sheep is they look down and they keep eating, and they'll fall into a ditch and die. So he's saying, here, here you are up here, and you're up here as a shepherd. You have your shepherd's staff. Now you're, you're looking at down here, and you're trying to find your lost sheep, and you can't find it, but you'll walk all the way where you need to to find that one lost sheep. You're going to look for this sheep. You're going to do everything possible to find this one lost sheep. And what you do is you will leave these sheep in the country with someone else to take care of them. Why? Because they're fine. They're okay. In fact, they might, be, they might even be in like a, a sheep pen. And they may, be, they may be fenced in. And they're okay. But this one lost sheep is wandering around like, hey, hey, I'll go, go cruise around and fall in this water. And then he's going to be floating down the river. Floating, floating, floating down the river. So now the sheep, that's a sad picture. I know it looks funny, but that's a sad picture. The sheep is like flowing down the river, and now, now he's crying because he's lost sheep. So this cannot happen. He's saying that cannot happen. So I'm going to look for my lost sheep. I'm going to find my sheep, and I'm going to go get that sheep. And then he carries that sheep home. Why? Because he's filled with joy that what was lost is now found. Out of the 99. Now, like we said earlier, whatever is valuable to you will depend on how willing you are 
and what you will go through to find that one lost sheep. If you had $100 and you lost $1, like you're driving down the highway, $1 flies out, and you have 99 left, $1 flies out, and you have traffic going, will you stop your car? Honey, stop the car. What happened? A dollar flew out the back window. A dollar? Yeah, one whole dollar. What? We have 99 left. Yeah, but it was a whole dollar. 100 pennies, 10 dimes, 20 nickels, four quarters. That's about it. One dollar. You know what your, your spouse will say? It's like, it's a dollar. It's not that big of a deal. And it really won't matter. I mean, I don't know if any of you would stop. I wouldn't stop. It's too dangerous. But let's just say you had a busload of children, a hundred of them, and one rolls out. The Kolohe one. It's like, hey, Mano, and roll out. What? You're not going to say, ah, that's all right, we get 99 left. You're going to say, we better go get him. Let's go get him. You will stop on the highway, you will get out of the bus, and you will stop traffic to go pick up brother, right? You would. No one will let Mano just roll around and be like, oh, I'm going rolling down the river. You, you will do whatever it takes to go get that one lost child. And that's the picture God wants us to have. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not this picture, but the picture of 99 are okay. It's the one lost that is not that we got to go out and get. This is what Jesus is saying. The 99, these, this 99... Are believers. This one is a non-believer. This is us, the believers. And we have family and friends who are non-believers. Some would roll out of the bus, but we got to go get them. <laughs> but he said... You, you go get them. you got to find them. And when you find them, you bring them back to me. He, he gave us that ministry. It's called reconciliation. To reconcile back to God. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Listen, if God plans, so should we. we got to have a plan. How are we going to find the, the lost sheep? Because you have to go through terrain, sometimes a fence. you got to go uphill, downhill. You have to be careful of the streams or wild animals. You need to go to the lost sheep with a plan. And God gives us a plan. He shows us how he plans. See, our plan in this season right now is to partner together in our attempts to reach our family and friends. We do that on Sunday mornings or even Wednesday nights like this. We have uh, coming up Nick Vujicic, who is coming in November. November 9, 10, and 11. He'll be here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. The three days before that, 6, 7, and 8 of November, we're going to be having a live broadcast from New Oahu because Nick will be on Oahu, and we're going to live stream it here so you can bring people on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. In fact, all those nights if you want to because we want to keep bringing people to Jesus. That's what we want to do. This is our harvest season. And then we have our marvelous night next week, Wednesday, on Halloween, because we want to partner with you in your attempts to reach your family and friends. We want to do everything possible to find the lost sheep. 
And so when we come up next week, 5 o'clock, we're going to have games and activities. It's going to be good because we're in a safe environment. You don't have to, I mean, if you want to drive around and, you know, have your kids go from door to door, that's fine. It's, it's great. It's a good tradition. But if you want a one-stop place to go, this would be it. And it is absolutely free for the kids to play games. The food, on the other hand, because I see how you guys eat. We gotta, you got to pay for that. That, that, we're going to lose money if not. But we're going to have meals available and that we can be here. You can eat dinner and your children can play and have, have uh, games. And then we're going to gather in here about, about 6.30 and we're going to have a live action-adventure theater message where even your children are going to be able to understand and for you too. And it's in a nice air-conditioned building. And your children, some of them, are going to be able to participate. So it's going to be a fun time for the family. And we're doing this, we're, we're doing everything possible so that we can find lost sheep. And maybe even some children will receive Jesus next week. We never know. All we know is, God, we're going we're to partner with you. We're going to provide the place. And we're going to provide the environment. We're going to put together a plan. And then we see what happens. Even if one person says yes, the Bible says all of heaven rejoices. Ah, everybody's, yeah, all of heaven rejoices. So we want heaven to party next week, Wednesday. So we're going to bring people. Not only have a plan, but going into Christmas season, we're also planning some things then. Because we're entering that season where it is the harvest season. So we're going to have a plan, and you can have a plan too. You can think through, how am I going to invite people? Pray. That's a part of your plan. Lord, I'm going to pray for someone. In fact, if God puts someone on your heart, put it on your Bible, in your journal. Uh, put it in an app or something. We have a, uh, an app called Echo, E-C-H-O, and it's a prayer app. And if you download that, you can put prayers together and a reminder, and it will remind you to pray. So pray for someone. Even if you bring one person, who knows, that might be one step closer to God or the final step closer to God, and then they say yes to him. So we have a plan. We want to partner with God. The second thing we can learn from the Lord is to have a method. God has a method. And he, he put together a method in how he was going to reach us. In verses 8 through 10, it's the parable of the lost coin. Watch this method when the coin is lost. It says, or suppose a woman, and Jesus is still speaking to the Pharisees. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Notice he never used one man, yeah, for this. Just saying. I'm not stereotyping. I'm just saying that, like, a woman is very detailed. A man would be like, oh, where's the, ah, no can find Yeah, like, borrow dollar. That's what a man might do. In verse 9, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This coin was valuable to her. So what did she do? She thought things through. She methodically looked for this coin. She didn't just scan for it and say, oh, well, it's gone. I mean, okay, I'm just asking a question because I don't want to just be by myself. I'm a scanner, scanner, scanner. I will scan when looking for something because I don't want to waste time looking for something if it's not there. Or I will ask Heidi, Heidi, where's the show you? Oh, it's on the refrigerator door. I open the door. I don't see it. And then she'll come even blindfolded, open it up and grab it. Just like out of thin air. I'm like, you're a magician. She goes, it was always there. Why? Because I scan. 
honey, where's the, where's the lucky charms? Oh, it's in the cupboard. I open it up. I look through. It's not there. She comes back. No, it's right here, right in front of you. I'm thinking, how could I not see that? Because I scan. Now, how many of you scan? Come on. Yes. <laughs> it had some women too, so it's not just men. We just scan. Well, what this woman did is she was methodic in what she did. She lit a lamp. Like she took time out to light a lamp, sweep the floor. She swept, might as well do housework while looking for this coin. She swept the floor. She did everything possible. And she searched carefully because it was that valuable to her. See, when you have a plan and you have a method, let's just say you're going to reach a coworker. You're not just going to say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Now, if you do that, that's fine. But you want to pray. You want to think it through. Because for some people, they don't care if you invite them to church. That's not what they're looking for. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for someone who would actually care for them. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. That's what they're looking for. That's the method God used. That's what, when Jesus came, he cared for people. There are hundreds of people, but when someone needed healing, he, he stopped. And he cared for that individual. Even though he had many things to do, he cared for that individual. Jesus thought things through. And that's what this woman did. She lit the lamp. And she methodically looked for the coin. Swept the entire house and searched carefully. See... We say it like this, we reach people far from God one relationship at a time. That's our method. It's our relationships with people that we connect with that draws us closer to God. God's method with Jesus Christ is found in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth that's god's method he comes with grace and truth god will bring truth absolutely but he'll bring grace first in other words he wants us to go into the world and reach people with grace and truth see if we go to people with just truth and we kind of tell it like it is because some people say that i just tell it as it is then there's no grace and people don't come to christ because there's no grace however if there's only grace and no truth then what good is that? Because then it's only, oh, everything's okay. No, you can do whatever you want. No, God accepts you in whatever way you want. Yeah, no, you come to him and just be whoever you want to be and then stay like that. And God is saying, no, no, no. There is also truth because this is, this is destroying you. So here's the truth. I, I'm going to give you grace because grace is needed for you to be drawn close to me. Now I'm going to give you some truth to help you to be restored. See how God does that? It's with grace and truth together. That's the remedy for a whole soul. It's grace and truth. That's his method. The final thing, not just have a plan or have a method, but we want to have God's heart for the lost. We want to have his heart. Not our perspective, not our own heart, but his. The final story he tells is the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued in verse 11, Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off 
for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come, he, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted, the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his brother went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, it, it is the clear picture of God the Father running to us. That's the clear picture. That's the image we should be having. But do you notice that the son says to the father, he says, this son of yours, not when my brother comes home. It's like he's, he's so disowned his own brother. And he says, I have no connection with him. That's your son. And the father, full of grace and truth, says, your brother, who was dead, is now alive. It's like the father is telling us, there are many people who are lost, and we're going to have all of these things in our mind. Yeah, but they do this, they did this, they did that. They're lost. So they don't know. Oh, no, 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 they know. No. We, can, we, can, we can give all the excuses, but God is saying, no, hang on. That could possibly be your brother, or your sister. Because when we come into the Father's house, we are all children of God. That's the heart of God. It's family. It's relationship. That's how relational God is with you and I. 
See, when you have a hard time connecting with lost people, even having a hard time with lost people, remember the heart of the Father when he found you. Remember the heart of the Father when you came back to him. Once we forget about the heart of God, then we forgot about the heart of God when it came to us. In this next season, I would pray that you and I would have a heart for the lost. And not just in this season, but continuously. That we would continuously love on people and draw them closer to God so that they might find Him, however lost they may be. Because as far as someone is away from God, to God, it's not that far away. You may have someone in your mind and you may be saying, oh, this person would never come to God. They're 50 million miles away from God. And God would say, 50 million miles, that's it? Because for every single person, doesn't matter how far you you are away from God, doesn't matter if you're 50 million miles away or five miles away, every single person only takes one step to God. He travels the 49 million miles. No one is too far from God because it's always one step to God. Amen. And close your Bibles, put away your notes. We're going to pray for all of us tonight and even pray for people. We'll give you some time just to pray for people. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask Glenn, Glenn to come to the keyboard. You know, whenever God gives us a clear picture of who he is, it reminds us of how loving he is. So as we close in prayer, never forget the heart of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment, close our eyes. Lord, we take out this time to just ponder and and think things through. And Lord, you have given us a, a way back to you. You've given us your one and only son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, your word is, is, is streaming between the believers, your word, your spirit, your love, your mercy, your grace, your truth. It's flowing between all of us. And so as we go out into the world, in our families, our workplaces, wherever we would go, you're going to give us opportunities to connect with people. You're going to ask us, where are you? Do I have the heart of the Father? And Lord, tonight, that's our prayer. We want to have your heart. We want to go out with a plan. We want to have a method in how we're going to reach people. But we need your heart. So Lord, can you just breathe into our spirit, your heart. Pray that you would touch every single person here tonight, Lord, with, with your heart, with your love, with your grace. And as we go out into the world, we would be equipped by you to love people, have compassion on people, that they might know you as Lord and Savior one day. It could be in this season. It could be 10 years from now. We don't know, but you do. And, and we're a part of it. Whether it's an invitation, whether it's listening to someone, whether it's praying for someone, whether it's, in, whether it's saying, hey, can we just hang out? And I... I know we haven't talked in a while. Whatever it would be, Lord, give us a plan. And then help us with the method, how how we go about doing this. I know your spirit can speak to us, Lord. So may we not be people who hide, Lord. We, We don't hide anymore. We're not cowards. We're fearless because we're filled with your love. We're not gonna hide. 
We're going to walk hand in hand with you and look for that lost sheep. Whatever it takes, Lord. And in this season, may many people come to know you as Lord and Savior. Time is short, Lord. We're believers. We, we don't, this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We'll get there one day, but until then, we have a lot of work to do. We have a mission. You've given that to us. And right now, Lord, we just want to take some time just to, to pray for someone that you have put on our heart. And just take about 30 seconds right now and just ask God, God, who do you want me to reach out to in this season? He may give you a person, a family. He may give you a coworker. But you ask God right now. And you pray for that person. Some of you might be watching online. Pray for someone. It could be you. God wants to draw you closer to himself. Lord, we pray for the people that you put on our heart. And not just tonight, but can you, can you remind us daily to pray for these people? Not to judge them or condemn, but to love them. And that we would be people who partner with you in your attempts to reach them. It doesn't matter how far people are away from you because you're, you're so powerful that you're able to get as close as possible to them where it's only going to require one step for them. And that last step is a simple yes. I believe. So Lord, I pray for all of us tonight that as we go out into the world, you would have your heart. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Empower us, Lord. Wash us clean. Give us the strength that we need, the love that we need so that we would have no fear and that we would reach out to people in this season and beyond. For you are a good father, and that's who we need to be reminded of when we go out. It's you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. We all said together, amen, amen. Isn't that rich? Isn't that good for God, for God to use us? That's precious. So in the next couple of days as we go out, let God use you. Okay, you're going to see those opportunities. Don't be fearful. Let him use you and then watch what he does.